You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. Hello, hello, hello. This is episode 45. It is another solo episode because I realized that we never did an episode on the basics of intuitive eating, which we reference all the time, but we actually haven't done it in depth. We had Elise Rash, who's one of the co-authors of the book on the podcast, but again, didn't want to waste the resource of talking to Elise talking about the basics of intuitive eating. Anyways, I figured I would go through the 10 principles if you've never heard of it. I don't think that this is in lieu of reading the book because there's something really, really powerful about having the book, whether it's an ebook or a physical book. Uh, not ebook, it's the audiobook if you are a listener versus a reader, because I think that the way that the authors portray intuitive eating and how they speak to specific examples is so, so important. So, again, not in lieu of reading the book, but I do think that it's important for the sake of this podcast to have some sort of reference on the basics of intuitive eating. So, let's just jump right in, starting with one. The first principle of intuitive eating, well, you know what? <laughs> Before we jump right in, sorry. I do want to preface that intuitive eating is not a diet. And that if there is any diet out there that is saying we base our quote diet on the principles of intuitive eating, it is not intuitive eating. Intuitive eating is not a diet. It's not restrictive eating. It is completely the opposite. So when we think about the definition of what intuitive eating is, The idea is that it is focused on self-care and intuition. So we incorporate our rational minds, so the thoughts that we have in our head and logic and our emotional experience, our instincts, so sort of like what our gut tells us in order to work toward, I don't even want to use the word health because it's not even the goal. It's it's more of a self-care, I guess, for lack of a better term, framework. So when we think about any diet that might be disguising itself and saying we are intuitive eating based, it's really the opposite of what intuitive eating is trying to teach us. So now let's jump right in. First of the principles is reject the diet mentality. So many of us grow up with this idea that disordered eating is quite normal. So dieting and counting calories and pursuing weight loss, And just living in a world that promotes diets, promotes the idea that weight loss is the key and get this, the key to health. There's so much social weight that goes into the idea of how thin you are and things like that. It's hard. It's hard to reject it. But if we have in the back of our minds that, oh, but I'm going to do this and it'll help me lose weight, or I'm going to do this and it's going to help me anything related to dieting and weight loss, then we sort of miss the point, which is why it's so important that this is the first principle. Reject it completely. You will be swimming upstream. There are very few people, comparatively speaking, 
who don't go through life rejecting the diet mentality. But it's really the only way to start respecting your body and to start respecting your intuition. Because if we continue to go back to diets and weight loss, then we are continuing to go back to a system that tells us that we're the problem when really the system is the problem. So most, most important foundation of this is rejecting the entire idea about dieting and weight loss. That is, you know, your key to everything. The second one is honor your hunger. This can actually be quite difficult. And for most people, going in order of the principles is not going to happen. It sort of either happens simultaneously or you start with other things. And for a lot of people, hunger is not something that they feel or it is not something that they feel regularly. So for example, if you feel hunger in a way that you're just sort of irritable and shaky, you are way too hungry. So I do want to put out there that if you're the kind of person that has been ignoring your hunger for a really long time, it is not necessarily reasonable for us to expect you to be able to identify your hunger and honor it. But when you do get to the point of being able to incorporate your physical cues of hunger, the idea is that we have to take hunger and hunger cues from your body. It's not that this is lunchtime and therefore you should be hungry. It's not someone says you should be hungry or your diet says you should be hungry. It is your body will tell you when it is hungry. So let's focus on rebuilding the trust in yourself and learning to identify your hunger cues and then actually honoring them. Because by pushing it away, which is kind of what we all do on diets, we tell our body that (laughs) we don't really need your cues, we don't really respect them, and we don't really trust them. So part of building this self-care framework in terms of leaning into your intuition is to actually follow your physical cues. I think that With honoring your hunger, somebody with the long history of eating disorder or disordered eating, it is important to work with a dietitian and incorporate a bit of a more structured meal plan before you sort of work with, oh, do I feel hungry? Do I not feel hungry? Because again, your body doesn't necessarily, well, your body knows maybe, but it's not, we're not necessarily in tune with our hunger to begin with. So this is the kind of thing that you have to eat consistently, make sure that your body is getting enough energy. And over time, you can learn to incorporate this. So again, I'm not saying if you're under eating that you uh, sort of focus only on your hunger. That is something perhaps that comes for later. The third principle is making peace with food. So you know this sort of fight that happens internally. It's like, I shouldn't have that. I can't have that, but I want that, but I'm thinking about it, but it looks so good, but I had it. I shouldn't have had it. You know, it's just sort of like this argument and then leads to the diet, uh, quote, binge cycle. And that it just always feels terrible. And it always feels like there's so much guilt involved. And it always feels like there's so much, no pun intended, like weight internally. And so the idea is, Give yourself unconditional permission to eat. There is nothing morally wrong about having that thing 
And the more you tell yourself that you shouldn't, the more the deprivation builds up. And so, you know, we know the whole cycle of if you feel deprived, you're going to want it, you have it, and then you feel guilty and then you restrict. It goes on and on and on and on. So in terms of making peace with food is just allow yourself to eat it. Now, obviously, this is so much easier said than done, and this can take years and years and years for some people. But the idea itself is simple, deceptively simple, perhaps, but simple. Number four is challenging the food police. So this sort of like goes off of the piggyback of what I was just saying before, this, these arguments that you have in your head, that it's almost like this food police is in your head. Okay, that was good. That was bad. That earned you this amount of good points that earned you this amount of bad points and you have to repay by who knows what, restricting, working out, et cetera. But if we say, no, there's no good or bad attached to eating the ice cream or whatever is your your food. Well, if we say no, then we're challenging the food police. We are saying that this diet idea is ridiculous. We're saying we don't want to moralized foods. We don't want to engage in this stupid argument that is just sort of like getting in our heads all the time. So sometimes it's helpful to like talk back, even though that feels sort of crazy. So maybe do it at home and not in the street. But actually, if you wear your AirPods, you could basically do anything in the street. So whatever you want, but actually saying no, like, or any version of no explicit that you want. Do not tell me that I'm bad for doing this or that I'm good for doing that. No, be quiet, go away. That actually talking back to these sort of food police that we created is important. The fifth principle is discover the satisfaction factor. Now, this really has to do with pleasure and satisfaction and just the enjoyment of life because Food is an enjoyable experience. It's pleasurable. There's so much about it that's pleasurable, but sometimes even just the experience of having the taste and then having yourself finish a meal can be inherently pleasurable. So the idea is that there's something so powerful in allowing yourself to feel satisfied in allowing yourself to pursue foods that you enjoy that hit that satisfaction factor because this will actually, well, A, it does allow you to lean into your intuition and your cravings or whatever you want to call it, but it also allows you to stop when you know that you've had enough because you're satisfied. So that could be the fullness, which we'll talk about in a second, or it could be that really hit the spot, that sort of feeling when it was like, that was really good. And I don't need any more, but that was really good. So learning to tap in to your enjoyment and your pleasure and embrace it because we're humans and there's a part of this world that is meant to be enjoyed. So the idea is let yourself. Talking about fullness, which is the sixth principle is feeling your fullness. So sort of the opposite of honor your hunger is allowing yourself to honor your fullness. And that also can be very difficult for people who either perpetually feel full or haven't really been in touch with their inner experience when it comes to eating that could take time after you know that you've been eating 
consistently. And that sometimes can only happen with a dietitian. But when you do feel your fullness and you're able to identify the different levels of fullness, you can tell yourself, oh, I'm no longer hungry, or I think I'm feeling pretty full, or I think I'm feeling a little overly full, or just sort of what you personally identify as your comfortable fullness level. So this could be sometimes stopping in the middle of eating and asking yourself how you're feeling, what current level of hunger or fullness you're at. Or sometimes it can just be sort of identifying after each meal. If you don't feel like stopping in the middle and saying, oh, what level of fullness am I? And the point is, especially as you learn this, is not to always be comfortably full. It's to understand the full continuum of your, well, your fullness. Once you get in touch with what your hunger, fullness, and all those in-betweens and out-betweens feel like, then you can sort of target what feels comfortably full for you. Again, I don't necessarily think that the second you feel full is when you have to stop eating because sometimes we really enjoy what we're eating or you're full, but then dessert comes out and you want dessert. So it's not a crime to go past your fullness. It's just that when you're mindful of your fullness, you can make very different decisions. Again, when you get to that point of being able to understand the difference between different levels of hunger and fullness. I do want to encourage you to go online and look at hunger fullness scale. There are so many different ones and I would encourage you after you understand what it is to make your own. The idea is that there's a hunger fullness scale of zero or one to 10 and that presumably one to five is hungry and then six to 10 is full and there are different levels of it. So say one is like you're absolutely famished, you're going to pass out and 10 is you're so full, you're going to bust and then there's all the numbers in between. So if you can break it down into 10 different numbers, it might be easier to identify what level of hunger and fullness you are. And again, I would encourage you once you look online for different resources, how they describe different levels of hunger. Like some people feel hunger in their thoughts when they start thinking about food and then they feel full or they know that they're full when they stop thinking about food and it becomes less interesting to them. So be creative with how you feel hunger and fullness. And then you can create your own hunger fullness scale so that you know for you, this is what it looks like. The seventh principle is coping with your emotions with kindness. And this is, you know, sort of like all of the principles, so much easier said than done. But my understanding of this principle is that food can be such an easy way to cope with your emotions. And it's not an entirely bad way of coping with your emotions. You know, sort of like when... We have this uh, stereotypical way of understanding, oh, break up, here's some ice cream. I don't know if that's a bad thing. If you feel upset about something and you say like, I just want to have some comfort food and then whatever happens after you you deal with it. But I think the point is that we have to have an understanding that food won't solve our problems. Food won't fix our feelings. Food might comfort us. It probably will for the short term. It might be a great distractor, but it won't actually heal the problem. And so when we take our emotional relationship with food and we sort of say it it can be one dimensional, it can sort of work in a very short term way, but it's not going to be the answer to anything, then we open the question up to, well, then how can I actually deal with my emotions and ultimately where the emotions are coming from. 
and you guys know about know this about me is that that's this is ultimately where the work that I find my jam lies because we you know we talk about how it's all about the food it's not about the food and referring to disordered eating or eating disorders and that yeah sure it's all about the food i mean it's an eating disorder for god's sake but it's not about the food in that it's always stemming from an emotional experience that we either have no idea is happening meaning like we're completely dissociated or maybe we do and we don't really know how to deal with it so the idea is that we have to work hopefully with a therapist to understand what can be going on emotionally? How can I identify my emotions? Because chances are that's not something that's happening. And then once you identify your emotional experience, how can I actually, you know, whatever it is, distract, nurture, uh, process, or comfort yourself in those emotions? And then taking it one step deeper is why are these emotions even here? What is the deeper root of the emotions? This is the crux of the work with your relationship with food. The eighth principle is respecting your body. Oof, (laughs) so easy. The idea is that every person has a body that was given to them and is not expected to look the same as the next person. So when we talk about height, that is genetic. And it's not, I'm not expecting myself to be 5'9 because I'm not 5'9 and I will never be 5'9, nor will I ever be five feet. I hope I won't. I don't actually know how that works like later when I'm old. Anyways, point being, weight is the same thing. It's part of your genes. And if we try to manipulate our weight, then there are so many ramifications for your health. But when we work with the idea that weight is just part of our genes, the same way height and maybe shoe size is, then we can understand that maybe I can learn to respect my body. Maybe I can learn to live in my body and that it's just basically unrealistic for me to want to change it. And that to take it one step further, it's not only just respecting your body or accepting your body is that every single body out there, whether it's a body that meets the thin ideal or not, is a body that deserves respect dignity, and all of those things. So again, so much easier said than done, but this is the body image piece to work toward respecting and accepting your body. Ninth is movement. Feel the difference. And this one is where it gets so tricky. Well, nine and 10 is actually where it gets tricky. Movement is a great thing. It feels really good. There's so much research on that it is great for your health. But when we use it as punishment, it is compensatory. It is like, I ate that and therefore I'm going to compensate for it. We need to switch how we focus on movement and working out or exercise, whatever word you want to use it, into something that is joyful. So it's something that you enjoy, whether or not you look forward to every workout, whatever you want to call it, is not as relevant as your overall relationship with movement. So allowing yourself to feel what it feels like in your body and asking yourself, what does it feel like as opposed to counting calories or or counting steps? And I would highly encourage you to turn off all those counting mechanisms on your watch and your Fitbit, or if you even have a Fitbit, maybe burn it, but on your phone, it's really not relevant. This is about something that energizes you and something that is fun for you because ultimately adding a little bit more movement into your life, especially if you've been doing absolutely nothing, 
is going to feel great. So if that's five minutes of freeform dancing in your living room, then that's great. But as long as you enjoy it. The 10th one also is a little tricky. It's honor your health with gentle nutrition. Now, people who have any history of dieting know so much about nutrition that it it's almost like, well, why would I ever work with a dietitian? Because I basically know the entire nutrition book by heart. Well, yes and no. You know the diet nutrition. And maybe that is completely out of context that there are ways in which different foods feel different in your body. There are nutrients and minerals that our body needs, but it's not the focus. And I think this is what gets so tricky is that when anybody talks about gentle nutrition, it gets into sort of a diet zone. So it's almost like a dietitian who specializes in intuitive eating is almost not allowed to have salad even if they want it. But to understand that intuitive eating is not only about having fried chicken, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There is a balance. There is a way that, you know, your body is going to normalize itself into eating. And that's sort of the entire idea of intuitive eating. You will not want the same thing every single day if you tap into your body and allow all of these different principles to come out and listen to your intuition, it's going to become apparent what you need. So the idea here is that, yes, your hunger dictates when you should eat and your fullness perhaps when you can stop and leaning into your cravings and all that, but we can't dismiss this element that nutrients and nutrition exist, exist. I'm going to defer to like all my dietitian friends on the intricacies of gentle nutrition because it's really not my area of expertise, but I do think that it's important to mention this one, especially to intuitive eating critics, because intuitive eating critics probably never write down to principle 10, but the idea is that we need to make sure that we respect our body or if, I mean, if we want to, not everyone's goal is health, I guess. But if you want to like pursue health, it's not the idea that one snack is going to make you unhealthy. It's the idea of over time, how are you eating? In what way are you eating? And I think something that is really important is that it's the long-term picture. It's the progress of it. It's not we're not trying to attain perfection. We're not trying to attain any sort of specific diet, but we do have to pay attention that, you know, gentle nutrition is a real thing. So there you have it, the 10 principles of intuitive eating. It's sort of a taste. I would love if you go read the book. I can link to it in the show notes. I would love if you read some of the examples. I know that I have some clients who read even the first few pages and they're like, oh, my God, that's me. That's me. That's not me, but that's me. Oh my God. They totally read my mind. And I think that obviously I gave a very short breakdown of intuitive eating. And I hope that it's a great introduction. And I hope that you're going to continue to do more research on intuitive eating, but also let's have this in the archives so that anytime I reference intuitive eating, we can say, just listen to episode 45. Anyways, That's all for today. I will talk to you next week. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. 
Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.